It's Monday, February 21st. You are listening to LA Podcast episode 214. Uh, everybody sing it with me. You know the words. Hooray for rally woos. Hooray for rally woos. <laughs> da 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 da. Hooray for hold me woog. <laughs> it's, it's fun to say it out loud, finally. Yes, I know. After a it week does feel better texting, hearing you say I, it instead of the tweets. I am Scott Frazier. I'm joined today, as you've already heard, by Alyssa Walker and Rachel Reyes. How are you both doing this morning? I'm great. Happy President's Day. What? Oh, yeah. We get one measly day now. I miss the days of a split a split birthday celebration for the two big guys. We should get uh, one day for every president. And then every year or every couple of years, you just add one. Frankly, we should. This, this is the day that I always like to go to the uh, corner of Vermont and Beverly where the um, Mount Vernon replica that is now a bank <laughs> is um, right there across from the Red Line station. And that's where I pay my respects to oh my our founding father, George Washington. God, that's a Mount Vernon replica? <laughs> I've always wondered what the yes. hell was going on with that colonial fucking building in the middle of the city. <laughs> That is wild. I never knew that. Together, it's. I mean, maybe they have tours. Like people are dressed in like historical colonial Westlake. We okay. We want to get into the news (laughs) for the day, but before we do that, uh, let's open the floor for some LA stories. Rachel, why don't you go for this first this week? Yeah, on the topic of like old people stuff, uh, (laughs) I went out. (laughs) I went out last week for a friend's. For a friend's birthday, and we had dinner at Fia, which was lovely. I recommend it. I had their Caesar salad, obviously, and it was very yummy. And then we went for drinks at Elefante after. And we, you know, our reservation for drinks was at 10. And the second we went up the elevator and got into the actual restaurant, I immediately felt like I was 65 years old. There was house music playing loudly. We got seated at this table that was absurdly low. So my back was already a bit confused (laughs) and I I couldn't read the menu. And I just kind of sat there and I, you know, looked at this table of friends I was with and we all just started laughing like, oh my God, we can't hear each other. We can't read this menu. I'm like using the flashlight on my phone to read this menu. And... I just felt, I mean, I genuinely was like, wow, we have been in this pandemic for so long. I was in my 20s when it started. I was 28, turning 31 this year. But it feels like I have aged so far beyond that. Like, (laughs) so I, you know, I don't know. And it it felt also like I was in an episode of Euphoria. Like everyone around me was so much younger, (laughs) hotter, crop tops. Like it was, there was just a lot going on. There was like a sense of finance money in the air that I don't Uh particularly appreciate Mm. either. Is this the vibe shift? It might be. Yes. Yes. New York, the New York Times has shifted your vibes for you. Um, New York Magazine. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Get it By right, Scott. Please. I, so, I'm sorry. I didn't check know, the, the signatures with Alyssa's paycheck. <laughs> 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 Alyssa, how about you? What What was your LA story? I also felt old in a, the sense that uh, um, I, I worried about our ex- existential uh, future 
um, when we had that hailstorm on Tuesday. Remember? It was so nuts. And I didn't get anything where I was. Did anybody see? Imagine if we were just like, no, what are you talking about? We don't remember. (laughs) We don't remember. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, it didn't. Did not hail by me. It hails here. It hailed yeah, you got wide. it there. It was weird. It was like in the West and then it was like moved along the mountains kind of. Um, and then the pe- the Pasadena images were amazing. There was like, it looked like accumulated up to three like um, inches of hail on the ground. It was crazy. But yeah, it felt, you, you, it, it felt in many ways like snow and it, you know, my, I always have to give my snow primer from interviewing all the um, people who study these things, but that snow doesn't make a sound. That's how you know that it's snow. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's making a sound as it's hitting the ground or, it, you know, you have those videos where you can hear people like, Shh, you can barely <laughs> hear them talking over it. That It's not snow. <laughs> Hail or grapple, which is the best word. Um, but it always makes me really sad, right? We talk about, it. I feel like we had a whole episode where we talked about that. Um, but it makes me really sad because we should have more snow on our mountains this time of year. Mm-hmm. And this didn't even put a real dusting on our local mountains uh, up higher. Yes, of course. But um, we're about to get through this whole winter and there's not going to have really been any substantial white peaks, you know, that we had a few days, but they were kind of the far, the further up mountains, the higher elevation mountains. But I have a feeling we're going to get through this winter and not have... <sighs> not have it. Is this the beginning of the end? Is this the vibe shift? <laughs> on the bright on the bright <laughs> side though, last week we were just on this show talking about how there wasn't even any like chance of forecasted precipitation for the foreseeable future. And then like That's four true. days later. <laughs> well, we, we were wrong. <laughs> you'll get this precipitation, but it will be delivered in ice mm-hmm. pellets. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna yeah, quickly. you're gonna get the precipitation, frozen bullets of it. <laughs> Uh, my LA story, I went out with friends on Valentine's Day. We did trivia at Red Lion. It was actually, it was like uh, almost an anniversary of for one of my core uh, pandemic friend groups. Like, I feel like if you go back to 2020, there was, at least for me, I don't know about, about you guys, but for me, there was like <laughs> such an immediate uh, like hunker down that it was like whoever you were closest to at the point in time that all of the stay-at-home orders went into place, those like became, that became your squad. Mm. Like that was like, that was <laughs> it for like a mm-hmm. while. Um, so like around this time, Two years ago now, uh, we went to Red Lion, did trivia. Um, we had, you know, we, we were just like hanging out, getting drinks. Everything was relatively normal. Smash cut to a month later, the world's falling apart and so on. Um, and so now we went back, back to uh, Ground Zero, did a, a little uh, trivia update. We we won, won a $25 gift card According to the the woman who's hosting it there, she's been doing that for 15 years in the same location. <laughs> I was like, God damn. But uh, but yeah, it was good. Um, you know, obviously not on the wow, not on the other side of it as we move into the endemic phase of the uh, of the COVID 
era, <laughs> uh, but still just kind of nice to 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 touch base and um, and celebrate that we are you know still here, still friends, doing doing our thing together. That was that was nice, a nice way to spend Valentine's Day. I love that. That sounds nice. Okay, so if you listened to last week's episode, Americana Carnage, we talked all about the Super Bowl and various impacts that preparations for the event were having on Los Angeles. The game has now come and gone, but its impact lives on. Of course, the Rams won. There were some fireworks. There was a parade, but that's not the impact we're talking about. We're talking about a different kind of celebration. No. One that, unlike the Super Bowl, Angelinos from all over the city could afford to watch happen in real time. I'm referring, of course, to the attempt by city officials and Rams owner Stan Kroenke to change the Hollywood sign to read Rams House. Alyssa, you were in real time documenting this as it (laughs) happened. What can you tell us about how the mayor ended up spiking this particular football into his groin. Nice. <laughs> well, it did, it began that way. It began with a press release in the middle, in the dark of night, after the, as the victory was still fresh in our minds. Um, the Rams won, and I think... <laughs> I, I, I immediately read this and I was like, okay, this is clearly like the, an amazing stunt that is meant to like bring, bring our attention to maybe the fact that like cops were beating up celebrators mm-hmm. downtown LA. right? It just was like, you know, we're going to go look over here. So the parade was planned for Wednesday and um, we get this press release that says, you know, the sign is going to be changed <laughs> to read Rams House. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's all I it's all I could think. And, and I, yes, it did seem like, oh, we're you we're we're not gonna obviously talk about like who wore their mask at the game, right? <laughs> yeah. That was that was the only other press that Guy said he's been getting. Like he coined his own you know, medical way of not spreading COVID by <laughs> holding his breath with a mask off, given the full face of the 49ers game. So that was kind of the last <laughs> round of press that Garcetti was involved with. So this is definitely a so step now we up. Get, yeah, now we get the full sign. Yeah. So this was like, we're going to change the Hollywood sign, which which we know is not a good idea. It's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the kind of thing that has happened a lot in the past, but normally it's like unofficial, like stoned out of their mind, uh, old hippies that are doing it, right? It's usually stoners. Yeah, it's it's almost always stoners or Caltech students, I think. And um, and they and there's some of them have been really good, actually, have been well done. Um, you referenced the Hollyweed, which ha- happened twice. Um, once was in the 70s um, and once that was like a very famous one. And then once was like just a few years ago, like in 2017. And then I covered breathlessly um, when the, the last time the city changed it officially, which was in uh, 2010, um, it was changed to read Save the Peak. And that was when they the city was trying to buy Coenga Peak, the next mountain over um, and make it part of Griffith Park. But for and, and, and I guess that would like really explain to you how difficult it is to change it 
officially because we've had people go up and change it to like Holly boob <laughs> by just putting like a, you know, a B and a B kind of inserting them uh, randomly over the letters. But like to change every single letter, they use these like giant uh, like banners, I guess, to just clip over the existing letters. The Holly boob, like that was the most recent one. And those people were arrested afterward. I like, they were just like all taken in by LGBT. Yeah, so also, right. So now we have to like talk about how you change it and you get arrested and, um, but you know, you're not supposed to touch it. And they put out, they always put out a statement being like, this is such a precious um, icon to be appreciated, not demeaned, but as we saw this week. They fully, yeah, so they they fully demean <laughs> the Hollywood sign. Like they stripped all meaning away from it uh, in, in many ways. So you mentioned the red letters, um, Alyssa, when the Trust for Public Land put up their sign. I feel like that was something we, like a contrast in color, we definitely could have used because Ram's House is a thousand percent illegible and it made me feel seasick trying to read it in all of those photos yeah. and videos and I don't get seasick. Yeah, when the when the Save the Peak sign went up, they did like white, just, it was completely like a white square that was covering each letter. And this time it was so weird. There it was there was no contrast um, but between like what they were putting up and the hill behind it. And it was pretty clear to me that they used like a photo as reference that was taken. I found the photo that they used as reference to make the the rendering and it, it the letters were brown. So you they actually like recreated what the letters look, looked like with even like little baby scaffolding behind it and that to, to make it look like it would blend in on the hillside. But the letters were brown and the hill is green, dark green as as it is in February. So... I'm like watching this and I'm like, wow, this is actually, okay, maybe this might work. It's going, going pretty fast. Maybe we're going faster than the last time, which when it took 36 hours to change the sign. But then all of a sudden (laughs) it was a very, very long process. Yeah. I mean, wait, so they started on Monday, right? Like they started on Valentine's Day. And yes, it was only supposed to be up until Wednesday. It said the original press release said Monday to Wednesday. So I think the plan was maybe to take it down after the parade, but it actually only got finished like the night before the parade. Oh my God. And then it was raining that, you know, that hailstorm that we were talking about. I don't think it, I don't know if it hailed up there, but like, you know, they had to. (laughs) It didn't help. It didn't help. (laughs) Had to deal with that too. Yeah. So, and then, and then, yeah, once it went up, like the wind, I guess, like the panels weren't really, it had this like ripply kind of effect going on. So it made it even harder to read. There's, there's a lot of wind too. I loved your post where you turned it into like Wordle. (laughs) I don't know anything about Wordle. So I had to learn how to make that. (laughs) I don't even play it. Um, Yeah. I, I mean, and I had that all ready to go. I was like, okay, this, it's always funny, like what it says. Like for a while when Save the Peak wasn't done, it said Save the Pood for a really long time, which was just like the most hilarious thing. But it wasn't even funny anymore after a while because you couldn't read it. Like it wasn't even like a, it wasn't even like a joke. Yeah, I mean, by the time it was Rallywood, 
I well, I have a. Let me just say, I have a view. Like you have a good so, view. Like yeah. so many people do in LA. Um, like if you're just like out in your neighborhood, you can see the Hollywood sign, um, which is like why it's so iconic, right? Like you can see it from just about anywhere. And I was looking from my house, and by the time it was Rallywood, right? Like they've changed the first two letters. I can see from my house that it's all it's done is made like, it nope. completely illegible. Like I can't see the <laughs> yes. sign name. And then as they keep going, the whole sign just sort of like disappears into this mess. Yeah. Yeah. It does make you realize like actually how readable those letters are. Like the very sharp angular letters just makes it completely. I said, I felt like I was at the eye doctor when <laughs> um, Matt Tinoco, our editor took a picture from pretty close by from by the observatory and it was like, you were trying to be like, is that a P or a B? Is that R? You know, it's, it's very, it's very confusing. Well, nothing compares to the finished product. <laughs> I mean, it was just incredible. <laughs> they really decided to continue on with us. We've got the Santa Ana winds blowing. It's raining. It's hailing. And all they did, which is the most confusing part, is they simply hung these letters in front of the other letters, as we've been talking about, which number one looks tacky and unprofessional, but it also just doesn't work. <laughs> I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, did, could they not have talked to the Holly Boobers, gotten some pointers <laughs> from anyone else that's done it before? Um, people were saying it looked like that. Like, this is what the Hollywood sign would look like if you were extremely drunk or on mushrooms. <laughs> like, it was. It's so hard to describe the visual effect of this, but hopefully you have seen photos or we'll pause this and go look it up. Um, But as someone with extreme myopia, Mm -hmm. I felt like my retinas had detached. Like that's what, Scott, you'll tell me. (laughs) Like I I have been living with this. We're all like, like, what does that say? I mean, it genuinely was just like, I mean, it's it's incredible that a city with so many resources, you know, can just do so poorly. Somebody tweeted, yeah, they somebody tweeted like there are thousands of visual effects producers in (laughs) right. (laughs) I mean, okay, every time I was looking at the sign, it was so it was so funny, like the all of the different views that you were getting of it from helicopters up there, and just completely illegible. It was. I felt like every time I saw a picture of it, I was seeing a different. (laughs) word i mean just like shout out your favorites mine was Sam ham shoes I'm was like my laughing. favorite i cannot stop laughing and then john gordon from metro just posted a picture of a pig with shoes on us ham shoes it's so funny uh it was like ram swaggle no, I cannot. <laughs> like, sh- no that was the bet it was um <laughs> it was the Goodyear blimp, like retweeted our friend Robbie Avenar's photo uh, for taken from Barnstone, which was really good. Another place where you should be able to see the Hollywood sign so well and it's completely unreadable. And the Hollywood, <laughs> the Hollywood sign says like ham or something and the Goodyear blimp is flying over and then the Goodyear blimp quote tweets this tweet being like uh, oh hey we're fall- flying over the iconic uh, uh, what <laughs> just the fact that the owner the owner of the Rams paid to do this makes it so much more enjoyable and funny to me like 
this man is worth $10 billion. Right. And couldn't have thrown in a couple of bucks to like make this look better or hire someone no. better. Like you were saying. And the, NFL, the NFL did this 500 drone show over downtown uh, over the weekend. Like it's part of that like NFL experience, experience or whatever. Mm-hmm. 500 drones flew in the air and spelled out words and like made pictures that like rotated. And this is what we do. Put like a, I was like, I was losing my mind. It's like a spirit Halloween banner. Oh man. It just, it reminds me of the poll that the LA times did. We didn't, we didn't talk about this aspect of it, but one of the things that the LA times asked people about the mega events was like, whether or not they thought that, like, re- like regular people were going to benefit in any way from uh, the Super Bowl and the Olympics and other stuff like that. And Angelinos were pretty united in thinking that all of the benefits were going to rich people. So this felt kind of like poetic justice <laughs> in, a, in a way. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> what? You could only really see it if you lived in like a $10 million house directly beneath the Hollywood sign. Otherwise, you were not allowed to view <laughs> the real message. It's just like, what better way to celebrate this win for the city than by having Stan Kroenke and Eric Garcetti make fools of themselves? Uh, yeah. And this wasn't just a yeah. local story. For whatever reason, the Hollywood sign change was being covered nationally, probably because this is such a rare occasion (laughs) as we have been talking about. So there's a ton of footage of it, right? There's stuff from Reuters, AP, and now this. All of them had helicopter footage of it. It was the perfect thing, uh, in addition to Alyssa's tweets, to really bring this city together. There is there is so many photos. I you usually have like events covered that are like on the, on the wire services that you're like, oh, there's like maybe like 50, 60 photos. There were 333 photos of this. There's like basically a picture being taken like every five minutes as the sign was going up. There's so many images, but none of those were shared by the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no sign of the finished sign. Like, it actually just did not exist. (laughs) So the mayor has a long history of launching himself into the middle of sports celebrations. Uh, Some of these you might remember. I mean, some of them weren't even that long ago. We've won a bunch of championships during the pandemic. So this kind of thing keeps happening. But uh, the most well-known sort of bet that he made or the circumstances around it are at least very well-known Uh, When the LA Kings, the hockey team, won the Stanley Cup in 2014, pretty soon after Garcetti was elected, he had a bet with Bill de Blasio, also a a recent uh, electee of New York City, that the loser would sing on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, I think Garcetti was going to do New York, New York. And Bill de Blasio, because the Kings won, uh, did this. That was, of course, preceded earlier that day by probably Garcetti's most famous celebration when he adopted a little fake everyman swagger and did this. But there are two rules in politics. They say never, ever be pictured with a drink in your hand and never swear. But this is a big fucking day. Way to go, guys. Oh, you're not supposed to drink and you're not supposed to swear. 
but this is a big fucking day. And he takes a sip of his Bud Light. That was, I mean, do you think that was fake? I feel like he actually was like genuinely excited and just got, you know, just got all pumped up. I mean, that was probably his high point as mayor. I felt very scripted to me. After that. But I mean, I'm sure he was excited. Uh, he keeps doing he keeps doing this stuff. He did have the beer in his hand, ready to he go. He did. He absolutely did. Um, he keeps doing this stuff. He has you know bets with London Breed during the uh, uh, the baseball playoffs. He receives a piece of the Golden Gate Bridge after the Dodgers beat the the Giants uh, or last year. He bet an L.A. meal. Yeah, doing it for the playoffs. like <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> he bet an L.A. meal uh, against the mayor of Houston when the Dodgers lost to the Astros. Yeah, and he made, and he made everybody, um, like all the beer fans, really mad when he sent Golden Road beer after they had bought, been bought by Anheuser Bush. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, a <laughs> such memories. Truly uh, a sterling <laughs> legacy, but obviously there is on the... The on the top of the the pole now is is definitely Ram's house. It's hard to touch that. <laughs> that I mean that's your legacy now, and I mean I love these things that bring together Los Angeles in this way. We've been united by Hamschwag <laughs> and um, or Ram's my walk. I think I mean there's just so I will just never I'll never look at the sign the same again. I mean, honestly, I nothing but respect for my mayor, the the ham shoes sign. <laughs> and speaking of which, uh, there's somebody who wants to step right into Eric Garcetti's ham shoes. That would be mall magnate Rick Caruso. <laughs> Let's talk about him. Look, he prefers for his malls to be called shopping experiences, Scott. And he's <laughs> not a mall magnet. He's a civic thought leader. So oh my God. get it together. He's a philanthropist. <laughs> He's a philanthropist. I'm, I'm sure he does prefer those terms. Um, so like if he were to win, I guess if he were to be the mayor, uh, does that mean that Los Angeles is no longer a city? It becomes like a civic experience. Is that the an- analogy that we could make? Well, that, yeah, no, I feel like Garcetti probably said that at one point too, but like I liked his commercial where he called the Grove one of LA's most beloved communities. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, we, we have new commercials to talk about. What what are these? Uh, mm-hmm. What's what's new? What did we learn about Caruso's campaign now that his candidacy is official? Rick. Rick Caruso wants to introduce himself to LA and he put out his campaign video, which we definitely need to talk about. <laughs> I mean, it's funny you said he's introducing himself to L.A. I actually just realized this week that I had no idea what he looked like. I'd never seen his face before. (laughs) He has money. His name is a huge presence in the city. And I had no clue what dude looked like. Really? Wow. That's impressive. I wish I could unlearn. (laughs) Look, we're all all learning and not unlearning things this week. Angelinos... uh, you know, like you, Scott, we're learning what Rick Caruso looked like. He has very large eyes, just like I do. So I felt seen. Uh, and for Rick's <laughs> part, he was learning how to look at a camera. Yeah, there was definitely like a um, like a media training uh, in, in in action, but he still didn't quite couldn't quite handle the like the tough questions and, and you know 
where to look. <laughs> I, I I was getting kind of irritated uh, with all of this breathless coverage. You know, we, we talked about this last week, too, but I would encourage any of the reporters who were hopped up on Rick Crusoe recently to go and talk to literally anyone who has to work at one of his malls. He's a retail landlord. Like, he's not a genius. Um, and I just, you know, my... My sister, who I love and who I talk about all the time, um, she's done amazing things in her career, one of which was working for Dominique Anzel when he had a restaurant um, at the Grove. So I asked her to share with me just some of the little tidbits of what it was like to work uh, on a Caruso property. And she was just sharing some horror stories with me. Like every holiday season, these workers are not allowed to park in the Grove parking structure. They have to park offsite. What? Yeah, they have to park <laughs> offsite <laughs> at, at the CVS. Um, that's their like offsite what? parking. Mm-hmm. Lost my vote. And <laughs> like the workers are just like walking from CVS to the mall. Um, and my sister actually got trapped one holiday season in this offsite parking <laughs> because no one knew oh she was there. God. Like, right, bakers have to go in to work extremely early because they're making stuff that right. you're going in to buy at six, seven in the morning. So, yeah, there was this whole there was this whole thing. She was like stuck in this parking lot for like two hours during the holiday season. It's just a hot mess. Um, and more recently than that, back in June, June of 2020, he wanted to reopen the malls at like full operating hours just to get back to business. He was like, okay, none of this modified hour stuff that other malls are doing. Let's bust it wide open 10 to 9 like we were doing pre-pandy and on Fridays 10 to 10. So that's a full 12 hours. Um which is just not helpful. And as we all know and, and heard, we're still understaffed in retail stores. We had folks working at the Grove by themselves for 12 hours. So anyway, I could go on and on about how Rick Crusoe was a terrible. That's all very bad. It's all I mean, very I, bad. Uh, I, I do love watching the media training in action. I love watching him try to find the camera. I'm sure, you know, like that's the first like 100 days Thing for him that's probably part of his platform I will find the camera I also like um, something that I was well, as, as I now have seen his face thousands of times I was like he really reminds me of something and I'm not sure what and I realized that he looks like if you can imagine like if Mattel were making like a Barbie doll of uh, Kiefer Sutherland's mm. character Jack Bauer from 24, you know, like Torture Barbie or something <laughs> like that. Uh, he looks kind of like that. He looks like a plastic version of Kiefer Sutherland to me. So that's, I mean, but now I just see his face everywhere now in the last like seven days. Yeah, now you know what he looks like for sure. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Scott. And also having seen his face uh, many times in the last week, he feels like a portrait come to life, if that makes sense. Like, <laughs> he's just like an animated portrait. Anyway, well, so <laughs> there's this a side note. There was definitely an aggressive push behind these campaign videos. Lots of people were seeing targeted ads on YouTube, including my partner who brought this up to me and was like, I was watching like videos on YouTube and I got a bunch of Crusoe ads. Um, it's It's been a much more concerted rollout uh, than I think we've seen from anyone else. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like Karen Bass had a big, like, splashy entrance, but it was more like an in-person kind of rally-type situation. And his has mostly just... Well, I guess um, Joe Buscaino also had uh, maybe what you could call a splashy (laughs) um, event where he had that Venice Beach uh, press conference and then he ran over (laughs) and jumped over the um, bike, (laughs) bike share hub. Um. (laughs) Yeah, just in the last week, we're already getting a sense of how Crusoe's money might change this race. He, like Trump and Bloomberg before him, has endless amounts of money to buy ways into our eyes and our ears. And the ads themselves are something else. Yeah, we got to talk about this. Yeah, okay, let's, um, I mean, without further ado, let's just play a few clips from these ads. uh, And you can, (laughs) if you've been avoiding them, you can't avoid them any longer. I guess you could skip ahead. Think nobody can clean up L.A.? Meet Rick Caruso. L.A. has always stood for the idea that anything is possible. But too many Angelinos look at City Hall today and believe that nothing is possible. A lifelong builder and job creator, Rick created the Southland's most beloved community centers. And he always shared that success, giving millions to provide health care and a good education to kids in L.A.'s poorest neighborhoods and giving tirelessly of himself. He served L.A. under three different mayors, fought corruption and waste, and cut crime 30%. My only special interest are you, Angelinos. All right. Um, so where to begin with these clips? Where, where should we start? There's a lot in there. My only special interests are you, Angelinos. I, that line really, <laughs> I like Rick Caruso has taken a special interest in you. It has like a very... Like, man is the most dangerous game sort of feel to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, the the commu- the the shot where it's like a, a, describing the Grove as a community center is my absolute favorite moment. <laughs> I could have sworn we left the phrase job creators back in the second Bush term. <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't heard that in ages. That job creator. Like he's a he's has a proven track record as a job creator. Uh, the message. There's more to these commercials, but obviously they're they're not interesting. Um, he does two different line reads of the same line in his two commercials that he has out <laughs> right now, and it's like each one is equally as bland. So I didn't bother playing it. Uh, basically, it's L.A. was great, and Rick Caruso is living proof that L.A. is great. Uh, but it's not as great now, and we need to something L.A. something again. Uh, the Blank He's LA, been, blank again. Oh my God. He's been really trying to distance himself from the obvious and apparent Trump comparisons. Like now he's a Democrat, you know, not that that means a whole lot after being a Republican almost his entire life. But these ads beg to be compared to Trump. I mean, Scott, like you just said, like oh, yeah. LA was great. America was great. Like, like who wrote these for him? There's no sense of awareness of like the moment that no. we're in. Um, he's even saying no. he's going to work for a dollar a year. He's going to put his company in a blind trust, which like Trump, he could also just decide to not do. I'm, I'm so annoyed by the dollar a year thing because it's like he, he has been talking for years about how like badly LA is managing its money and 
It just kind of seems like he thinks that everyone is stupid and that we think like the mayor's $250,000 a year salary compared to the city's budget of billions yes. of dollars mm-hmm. matters like at all to, to fiscal management. No. Yeah, this is someone who has multiple mansions, although he is selling his yacht. He's also the only person running that would look at the Getty Mansion where the mayor lives and be like, gross. <laughs> I am not right? staying in that. <laughs> He's like, I will stay there, but I need to put in a better fountain. Right. Uh, yeah, like he lives in Monte, or at least he did live in Montecito. Like the Montecito TV channel was covering him entering the race like, local uh, owner of Miramar Hotel or whatever. (laughs) His circle is very uh, very different from most of the politicians in the city. He's doing this for free, not because he's a self-interested politician. He worked under Tom Bradley, all this stuff. Yeah, he's trying to position himself. I keep trying to figure this out. Like, how do you also be an outsider who says everything needs to be fixed, but then... You know, he was on the police commission and he's claiming that he cut crime by 30 percent. So, OK, you just happen to be around when like the we had like historically low crime rates. But how can you take credit for it and then also say that only you can change this? Right. It's also kind of just a side note. What's with all these mall people being police uh like commissioners. Right? I, I, I don't understand. It's like him, Steve Soberoff now, who's uh-huh. on several boards for like the Country Mart, Marrakesh, side note. Um, but, you know, all, all of this... Surveillance. They're good at surveillance. <laughs> right, fair. Got it. It kind of tells you... Got it in one. A lot about how... Uh, <laughs> this all kind of tells you a lot about how Crusoe sees himself in this race and how he's positioning himself. It's a total savior complex, a la Trump's only I can fix it. So yeah, he he thinks that he's personally responsible for the decades of work that LA communities and local organizers have done and to to build up services in Los Angeles. I mean, someone like Karen Bass, for example, was an uh, activist during the 90s, and she literally was spending her time as a private citizen working to bring down crime. Like, I certainly hope she wouldn't make a a claim like this. I really don't think that you would hear her say, I cut crime by 30%. Yeah, I just can't believe he's saying that he cut crime by being a police commissioner. Like, what what world are you living in? Good job, buddy. I mean, he's leaning He's leaning into that type of civic experience, being on the commission as proof that he should get the chance to run the city since obviously he has no political experience. Um, he's also been billed really frequently as a philanthropist, like everyone's saying billionaire and philanthropist, which frankly, I don't know that much about. I know he has a foundation. Uh, I would love to hear what they do with their money. Any rich asshole can have a foundation. Garcetti has a family foundation. He runs the Roth Family Foundation, which is uh, his mother's family, who has a ton of money from uh, from being clothes manufacturers, owning a, a suit brand that was really popular in the 60s and 70s. But nevertheless, this is what every TV channel is calling him, billionaire and philanthropist. He's Bruce Wayne, basically. And he, cuts, he fights crime, too. <laughs> so we talked last week, and we were talking even more off air about how breathlessly local media outlets were following Crusoe, waiting for him to declare that he was running. It was, it was interesting. Yes, it was like, they were like following him around like paparazzi. It was like, 
He's in the car. <laughs> he stopped to go to the bathroom. <laughs> okay, he's back now in the hallway. This was definitely the announcement that a certain segment of LA was waiting for. I mean, it might not be that big of a uh, segment, uh, but it definitely includes most blue checks from the LA Times and every TV news channel. It was a passionate, almost obsessive, you, like us weekly level of reporting. And by that, I mean, it lacked any critical analysis at all. Totally. Like this was just like the horse race perspective where, I mean, if you don't have Caruso, I can see how like, and you're, you're just like watching a political race as a sport, you would be like, this is really boring. Like Karen Bass is just cleaning up. It's going to be like a really sleepy race. But now that Caruso's in, oh yeah, he can uh, he can sex it up with some money. We can get like a, a more interesting version of this race. Uh, but like, I, so like we had poll numbers. Before we get to that though, let's talk about the TV coverage. We've already alluded to it a couple times. Yeah, this is after he announced. Several local TV news stations sat down with him one-on-one, like aired portions of his campaign video without commentary completely free. And we have some clips of that for you. Uh, here is a snapshot of how TV news is reacting to Crusoe running for mayor. You, Crusoe told me the first thing he will do if elected to mayor of Los Angeles is declare a state of emergency in the city. Uh, he is a newly registered Democrat. He spent many years as an independent before that, a Republican. Now he calls himself a centrist, a socially liberal, fiscally conservative. And- the elected official experience that we currently have has not worked. <laughs> So I don't want that experience. I'm I'm glad I don't have the experience of being an elected official. Like what? it's hard, like it's hard not to come back to Trump. There's like there's such an arrogance that he has, right? When he's saying like, "Oh well, these people have experience, and the problem hasn't gotten any better." So I'm glad I have no experience. And then the things he's talking about, state of emergency, having the mayor take over response to homelessness. Don't these, these don't sound new? Like these sound very familiar to me. No. Remember when the buzzword was FEMA-style homelessness response? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it sounds like. And now we have FEMA money and they still didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And then he, like, is literally someone who builds housing and the plan is like, I'm going to build 30,000 interim beds. And you're like, oh, they don't get to live in the Americana apartments? I guess not. They have, must be in tiny homes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no one no one ever really knew what like that buzzword was meant to mean and it hasn't really made any difference. But the goal was always give the mayor more power to, to build homeless shelters. So it sounds, yeah, it sounds like he actually has been learning a lot from city council. Yeah. Uh, a few candidates actually feel like like Caruso has been stepping on their toes in a big way. Yeah, Mike Fear had like a press announcement like on the day that he that Caruso announced with like this bullet point list with all these like documents about why he was like the wrong person to be mayor. But then if you go on Rick Caruso's website, like there's a glowing endorsement <laughs> from not his like mayoral um, campaign website, but like the Caruso Properties website about Mike Ferris saying how great Rick Caruso is. So <laughs> what changed? Um, and then Joe Buscadio's campaign, which just gets, you know, increasingly salty as this campaign goes on um, with his consultants tweeting constantly about 
Caruso as this big threat and how, what was it like Caruso should legally change his name? Uh-huh. It was, it was, he's going to like pay, <laughs> Joe pay Joe Buscaino to change his name to Joe Buscaino or something like that. Right. I mean, <laughs> that honestly sounds like what Ted Cruz said about Donald Trump right before he dropped out. Yes. Of the race. Yes. So like he he's really got a he's he's got to differentiate himself quick. But then these polls came out, and Rick Russo was already like you know many percentage points ahead of people. These two people who have been in the race for a very long time. Yeah, I mean the poll numbers. We can just get into that. Basically, this is the first LA Times poll that they have done on this race. Um, it's good that we're going to get some numbers. It seems like throughout the course of this, but where we are currently, uh, Rachel, can you just give us the key findings from the LA Times? Totally. So top line results are one: Karen Bass is absolutely cleaning up right now as the voters' first choice, and two. A huge number of people not only don't know who they're voting for, but also don't even know who the candidates are. I'm <laughs> thinking about that. the fact that I had <laughs> not seen week. Rick Russo's face <laughs> until now. Like, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, Bass has 32% and no one else is even out of single digits at this point. Rick Russo has 8% and Buscaino and Kevin DeLeon are even well behind that. Yeah, again, this is going to be a huge problem. And we promise we won't talk this much about Rick Caruso anymore <laughs> after today. But like, <laughs> there is no differentiation between people. Like, everybody's just kind of doing the running on the exact same thing, which is like so many more cops. Like, mm-hmm. and that's your only platform, really. So, yeah, including Karen Bass. It's weird to me. Like, in a way, it reminds me of the 2020 Democratic primary, which is like at the presidential level. And that's strange, I know, because it's like, I'm not in any way saying Karen Bass is running a a Bernie Sanders type campaign politically. But um, apart from Bass, you have all of these centrists who are running like identically. You have De Leon, you have uh, Fewer, Buscaino, Caruso, all running what sounds like the same campaign. Actually, I don't even know if De Leon He's like running an invisible race right now. But yeah, what? It, yes. He's got it. He's got endorsements. But like, where is yeah. he? What is I mean, he they're doing? all they yeah. all just seem like their support is going to cannibalize uh, one another, which is what happened in the 2020 primary as well. Right. And then we have like that, you know, what was it like 40 percent are undecided from that poll. So like, are they going to where do they distribute along this continue continuum? Right. And just to confuse things even more, Karen Bass is running a centrist campaign. Like really, really pains yes. me to say that. But she's also team hashtag more cops, hashtag all cops. So and she doesn't have to. Like she mm-hmm. does not have to do that right now. Now she has a very wide runway or long runway. I don't know. What do you call long it? and wide? <laughs> she has a very she has a very long. <laughs> she has a she could basically move into that space so easily now because there's so many people that are in the centrist. Yeah, I mean, she's she's running to the right of her record in Congress, I would say. And I think some of that has just been the messaging. Like after our our last segment, um, I talked to some people who were like, yeah, you know, like her plan uh, is actually not calling for increasing the number of cops or whatever and should have been the... 
they should have focused their own messaging on the fact that uh, what they're trying to do is actually reallocate the existing staffing, which the LAPD and the PPL have been resistant to doing. So maybe there's some aspect of it that's just bad messaging, and there have been high-level shakeups in that game campaign. I, I mean, I'm sorry, Alyssa, I know you want to not talk about Caruso, but I have a feeling we'll be talking about this a lot in the coming weeks and months. Uh, so, I mean, if you if you want more Caruso, ooh, stay tuned. <laughs> Don't change that dial. <laughs> so if city council is listening to these Caruso ads and hearing his lines about, like, politicians are just in it for themselves, they've, they've got each other's backs and not Angelino's backs, and they think there are any merits to those accusations, you would certainly not know it based on some actions that they are taking uh, currently. Last week, council leadership put forth a new motion to address the ongoing vacancy in District 10 by bringing back a familiar face. And who <laughs> is that person? Rachel, can you tell us what's going on in city council? Oh, yes. As you said, last Wednesday, after several months of Mark Ridley Thomas's suspension from council, President Nuri Martinez moved to fill his absence with his predecessor, none other than Herb Wesson, our dear friend Herb. There were a bunch of seconders on the motion, including Martinez's second in command, Mitch O'Farrell. And so now there's going to be a vote. How does this work? Okay, so if you're listening to this, the vote will be tomorrow. And all it has to be is a majority of council members. That seems like it will happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is a hashtag Herb's house. Uh, Martinez is... <laughs> That's what we should have changed it to. <laughs> Thank you, Matt, for that. Um, Martinez's motion talks about why nothing has been done since Ridley Thomas's suspension. It says that the trial for MRT was supposed to be before the end of the year. So they did not have a reason to act more quickly than that. Right. Yeah. So it was supposed to be in 2021, which was honestly never going to happen. These trial dates just don't go forward (laughs) on that kind of time. When I saw that um, and it was like it was reported, uh, I was just like, no, there's no there's not a chance. And now they're saying, yeah, there's too much evidence. So they pushed it back to August. Right. And even even August might be a bit too optimistic, which is why council says now it has to do something. So there was a lot going on behind the scenes, right? So there was um, there was a lot of stories written about like local, um, like particularly in South LA, community leaders um, writing to city council and asking for MRT to be brought back. And then this happened just like moments before, you know, before we're recording this, um, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference filed a lawsuit um, seeking to overturn his suspension, arguing, you know, about this, you know, not getting, they don't have fair representation. Martinez's office, according to the LA Sentinel and other sources, has been actually going out and asking groups in the district what it should do about about the vacancy. And some of those groups seem supportive of a returning Wesson uh, who has experience and at least in theory can get started without that learning curve that some new folks on the job might have. (laughs) Right. So like some groups are supportive and other groups are suing to to stop this. Um, So there's definitely like a divide. It's it's almost like there's a war brewing over this uh, seat in, in District 10 
Which is kind of weird to think about because MRT and Wesson were like really chummy, like really chummy. They actually like negotiated. Yeah, like remember this? Like swapping their seats where MRT was going to take District 10 in the city and Wesson was going to take, you know, uh, second district in the supervisorial race, which didn't work because the voters didn't vote for him. (laughs) He lost (laughs) to Holly Mitchell very badly. Yeah, someone forgot to tell the voters uh, about all of <laughs> about the FEC and everything. That's I mean, going but on. what does that say? It says a lot about his enduring support. Anyway, the district is bigger than CD eleven. Yeah, I mean, look, even Melina Abdullah of Black Lives Matter LA, who also has some personal connections to Wesson, was quoted in the Times saying that she would be glad to see Wesson back. So there's there's definitely strong support for him. It's just weird to oh, me. I, did, I said CD 11. Oh, did did I say 11 no, instead of 10? So. Sorry. I think oh. I did. Okay. This is, it's just weird to me as someone who's like been through the last five or so years of, of, of scandals in City Hall to like to choose this moment to welcome Herb Wesson back when he has sort of like this shadow hanging over him as, as the person who was leading council when all of these investigations were going on. This is somebody uh, that, that uh, like, he made it harder for LAPD officers to be disciplined with that Charter Amendment C, uh, used redistricting to break up Koreatown, um, and, like, spoke at the time about how he did it for, like, racially motivated reasons, which is a big no-no. And, and he also gave all of downtown to his best friend. He called his best friend on council, Jose Huizar, who then used that district to allegedly run uh, a criminal organization. It's an interesting choice. Are you, are you really surprised, though? Weren't you listening to Rick Caruso's <laughs> um, ad where he outlined this so eloquently? I know, I know. <laughs> There are still a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, a big part of what's weird here is that there's just so much time left in Ridley Thomas's term. So in theory, the charter should tell us what should be done. But Scott, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I can tell you that um, this section of the charter uh, is very, very confusing. The one about filling vacancies is is just <laughs> really, uh, it's a tough read. And that's despite the fact that it was actual, mm-hmm. or maybe because of the fact that it was changed really recently. Um, when we had the the charter amendment to change the, the voting dates to align them with state and federal elections, we also edited how we were going to be filling vacancies. Um, so, what it says, to the best of my ability to, to parse it, is that if someone is appointed to fill a vacancy, as we're talking about with Herb, uh, on council, that appointee can only be in, in place until December of the next even-numbered year. So the point is uh, that you don't want to have an appointee filling the majority of somebody's term. If there's a lot of time left like there is now... Um, then at some point, a special election should be required. So they say in the charter, uh, you're mandated to hold a special election lined up with the next primary. It's not clear whether they mean the next primary following December of the even-numbered year or just if you know that it would be an appointment (laughs) until December. So it's either... 2022 or 2024. 2024 doesn't make a whole lot of sense because that's when the term ends. Uh, no. But also 2022, <laughs> if it's 2022, 
the filing date to participate in that election has already passed. In which case, uh, maybe Herb Wesson is just the appointee for the next three years. <laughs> okay, but then there's also the other thing. Remember, um, remember when Mike Bonin talked about this when he voted against suspending him, the like charter crisis or whatever. So like, hypothetically, MRT is acquitted and the special election has already been held and we have two CD10 council members. Yeah, and there, there's other questions too, like whether or not Herb, uh, who has termed out, by the way, can even be an appointee. Right. And also why Herb? What is he, what, what secrets does he have on everybody on this council <laughs> that well, they need to keep him so close? It's the same thing they did. Yeah, it's the same thing they did the last time with um, Greg Smith, remember? It was like he had just been out and then they brought him back in to fill in when another council member was being indicted. <laughs> but then it guarantees that they can't run for the election. So it makes it like limits their power in a way. I don't know. Honestly, it yeah. Weird. I, it's, it's so weird. It's weird. I, I honestly would think it would be to your benefit if you if you're Nuri Martinez and Mitch O'Farrell to promote somebody that you want to see in power in that seat but they haven't done that it's herb and you know if you ain't running with it run from it I suppose it could be herb for years like we could be with herb for the next three years again uh that's just a but like, Wild what's thought. the power play here? Like, what's the, like, Unrig described it, Unrig LA described it as, like, a power play. Like, what's the end goal mm-hmm. here? Because, like, we still have, like, an interim mayor to shake out of this. Like, we have, like, what is actually going to happen? I mean, in the, in the so meantime, before any of this, any of the other stuff gets settled, Martinez and O'Farrell get an ally back on council. Like, they got probably a vote, yeah. you know? They got one vote if they, if they yeah. ever need it. Uh, we'll see. And and like we said, we anticipate that he will be added back to the council on Tuesday. It will be like the thing with Greg Smith and CD12, where he was literally, they voted on having him appointed to council. And then he just walked up to the horseshoe and started voting on things. He's like, oh, <laughs> that, that very same you. minute. So, uh, so yeah. Good thing I was here today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so one thing that Herb Wesson will probably be asked to vote on along with his colleagues in the very near future is an ordinance setting out how Los Angeles is going to handle new housing developments initiated under the state's SB9 law. That law, which was signed by Governor Newsom last year, it's already in effect. It went into effect in January, but Los Angeles, as with many other cities up and down California, has not yet passed a permanent ordinance establishing the city-specific mechanisms by which the the law can be followed. It's been a while since we discussed SB9, um, and it's a contentious issue, even as far as like what the the actual facts of its impact are. Alyssa, I think maybe you could just give us a refresher of what's in it. Oh yeah, so we talked about it a lot when it was um, being drafted. And then um, when council was uh, deciding whether or not to endorse it. And then uh, we talked about it a a little bit um, when it was passed because it was kind of this like part of this package um, of SB 8, 9, and 10 that was really 
created to increase housing production very specifically and chip away at single family zoning, which is the scourge on our state. Um, so these were all, uh, <laughs> this was like, remember when this happened, like these were all proposed and then there was the recall election for Newsom and then that failed. And then like the next day he's like, I'm signing these bitch. <laughs> and he was, I'm back. And so, <laughs> so we really get to stick it to the, to the, all the people who were the recallers who also just seem to really love single family zoning. So, um, so SB9, let's go in depth here. Um, it's called the duplex or the fourplex bill because it has two parts. One is on lots that are zoned for single family home. Most most of them, there's, there's a couple of carve outs we'll talk about, maybe some of those things. It allows the owner to build a second unit, so duplex. But then uh, those lots are also eligible to do what's called a lot split. So you can split your lot in half and then each of those plots can also have two units. So technically you could take one lot where there's a single family home right now and split it in a way that you could build two houses on each property. So you'd have four where you had before. Yeah. So, I mean, both supporters and opponents of SB9 have been claiming like for different reasons, obviously, that SB9 ended single family zoning in California. Is that real or is that hype? Well... I guess you could technically say that um, we've already done that with our ADU legislation to be able to add ADUs to most properties. But it's it's very complicated, though. It's not I think it is technically accurate, but it is very complicated. Yes. Like, let's do it. Let's get into the the dense zoning talk. I'm sure this is what everyone's been waiting for on Monday morning. Go. don't don't fall asleep at the end of the show okay so um sb9 is interesting because it's written in a way that you really you just you it it, it's the it takes away the local control that we always talk about on this on this show right um they have no choice um if you have a single family zoned area uh, unless it is uh qualifies for one of these carve outs um you actually have to allow it. And there's really no way around it. Yeah. And that's basically all single family zoning is, is usually a local government telling you that you can't do that. (laughs) Right. So local control, local governments, um, that's really, that's really all the power they have is saying that you can't build, we we can't allow it because it's not zoned (laughs) for something like that. There are like (laughs) obvious reasons for that power, like, you know, building like health and safety is is an important way that we make sure that the building stock is at least theoretically in a good state of repair. I was actually thinking of as as we were researching for this episode, I was thinking about the Israel Palestine war last year, where there were like people were like going into Gaza and being like, "Look, you know, like there's no authority to actually." Uh, manage or ensure the safety of these buildings in the Gaza Strip. And like, as a result, things are just so dangerous and deadly. So there are like some reasons why you obviously want to have a government entity with that kind of power. Um, Yes. So you have zoning and then you also have permitting, right? So you are, you're, you can get a permit to build something, but then zoning was something that was created um, and single family zoning was actually kind of created in 
in California, like Berkeley was supposedly the first place to have um, single family zoning. And look how, look how welcoming <laughs> they are to new people now. Um, but uh, they, uh, the zoning was originally like to separate out uses. So it was not only like, you know, residential, commercial, industrial, uh, mixed use types of buildings, but then, you know, so much of LA is still zoned for single family homes. Like a majority of the residential zoned land is still only single family. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you. do you remember that LA Times um, investigation from a couple of years ago where it was like, all of the new, um, all of the new zones for apartments—they're all like going within like 500 feet of freeways or whatever. Like, like this is yeah, what cities do with this very important yeah. power. That's what we've zoned it for. Yes. So, um, so yes, we are. We are we are going to change that, and it a lot of it should be changed. Like, I think we have a, a, you know a, a great agreement that like holding this land into uh, single families only is not a good use of any land here in Los Angeles. Um, but then we, you know, over the last year or two, we've passed all these ADU laws. So those have kind of started to, to chip away at that zoning in a, a slightly different way. Just saying that like, if you have a single family zone home, you can put a granny flat in your backyard or convert your garage or whatever. And those programs are so, so, so popular, like statewide, I think they account for a huge percentage of, of the new housing development. Yes, we've been doing such a good job. Like LA in particular has been called out as like a place that has had so many um, permits for ADUs. And um, this is like kind of the big question here is like, you know, we, uh, is, are, are we able to eliminate single family zoning in, in theory and also in, you know, execution, um, with, with these slightly limited rules in place? This has kind of been like a big thing for the state legislature. They've been trying to do it for years. You know, there was like SB 27 and which would have done like a blanket upzoning and SB 50 would have done the same thing. Um, but I think people also think about like what, you know, like Oregon or the city of Minneapolis did where they were just like, you know, like it's no longer acceptable for you to put these like by mandate, by legal mandate, single family zones in the middle of, of these dense urban areas. Yeah, but they will, they will likely try. Um, but there, there, and there remain to be some exceptions. Um, th there are good exceptions for it, but now a lot of the particularly wealthier cities are trying to create their own exceptions. Right. There's that city where only billionaires live that made national news for saying it was a mountain lion <laughs> There's habitat. There's so many of those. <laughs> yes, they, and that was great because that was a place, um, the city of Woodside, which is up in Silicon Valley, and they got so publicly shamed for that, that they backed down. They, it has like so many people who run these tech companies um, living in these estates. They were trying to cl claim that the entire city was a protected uh, wildlife habitat. And then even like the mountain lion experts were like, no, it's not. Multiple mountain lion accounts, multiple like mountain lions. Did you know there are so many that, that are posting on Twitter? On Twitter. Yeah, I, I only learned that because of yeah. you. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm not on Twitter that much right now. Um, but like, yeah, actually, the the Woodside thing was so interesting. Like, there's a political angle to this that 
Um, that I think is really fascinating. Obviously, the state has been trying to figure out, like, like I said, you know, they've done different iterations of this for years. And even this most recent one has spurred uh, this backlash where people are trying to get a ballot measure passed to like, um, to, you know, return local control or whatever. Um, but in this case, it seems like the state has, has been more successful in threading the needle politically, uh, you know, for good or bad by like creating a situation where like both landlords and realtors are really excited about this. And the Woodside example is a really like, a good example of that because the California Association of Realtors, one of my least favorite groups, um, actually <laughs> has started a nonprofit because they said this, the state has been asking for like more groups, basically like um, like Carla or uh, or Yimby Law or, or whatever yeah. um, that do the like sue the suburbs thing for not following state laws. Like they're looking for nonprofits to be the enforcement arm of this. So uh, the California Association of Realtors has formed uh, a pro housing group that does this. And they, they were going to sue Woodside and Woodside had to back down from this. It's like, I don't know, it's a mess of, um, you know, it's not a, the it's greatest. It's an odd coalition, but it is, Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay, yeah. so what, let's hear about let's hear about some of the the positives out of SB nine. Well, yeah, I mean, single family zoning we say it all the time is horrible, and the, that's the reason that we cannot build housing um, in on a large majority of our cities. Um, and this has not changed and is actually has gotten worse. Like a lot of places have been like down zoned, um, since the seventies. Yeah. Even in San Francisco and LA that's happened. Yeah. And, and both at San Francisco, I think has even a larger, um, percentage of single family zoning, which doesn't, for its city, which doesn't even make any sense. You look at it, you're like, wow, really? But it, it, it's more than LA. Um, and then, yes, that contributes to gentrification because you have these very high income communities that can't let anyone else in. And then that moves people to move into other neighborhoods where, you know, they are going to um, also end up not creating more housing because <laughs> they'll try to stop it when they move into other neighborhoods. So theoretically, this what, like doubles the amount of housing that we should see? I mean, that's what like that is like what the critics are saying, like, oh, there's going to be a fourplex on every lot in your neighborhood. But like the academic analysis <laughs> doesn't really bear that out. I think there was um, I think there was a, a figure that it was like seven percent of, of single family uh, zoned lots statewide might see this type of redevelopment. And it was over a pretty long period. I think it was over like 20 years or something like that. Yeah, just because it's, I think this is what everybody always gets so upset about, but it's it's not really, it, it doesn't really mean anything. Just because you're allowed to build something doesn't mean it's like automatically going to be like a three-story building tomorrow. Um, but I think that that is like, I think that is like SB9's strength is that is what kind of what we were just talking about. Like it, it stops rich neighborhoods from pushing their growth into the next neighborhood over that maybe is not as powerful, right? My example is always Santa Monica, which has the same population, literally the same population now that it did 50 Good years old ago. Santa Monica. Yeah. And just this week, um, 
I saw that they're going to try to fire Leonora Kamner, who is one of their um, housing commissioners. She posted that she was being asked to relieve, asked to be relieved of her duties by the um, council because she is uh, works for Abundant Housing and they are a very pro SB9 group and the people on the council do not think SB9 should be allowed into Santa Monica. And additionally, like when we're talking about pros, some of the exemptions are really good. You know, like some of the, the carve-outs are good. Uh, they, there are uh, preventions for uh, not demolishing deed-restricted housing or rent-controlled units. Also, um, you can't use SB9 to build on a lot where the Ellis Act has been used within the last 15 years. So those are all good carve-outs. Okay, so we talked about the pros. What about the drawbacks? Yeah, I mean, I'm someone who's generally supportive of SB9, or I mean, to be more specific, I'm pretty outspokenly just someone who doesn't believe in single-family zoning, like Alyssa said. Um, I'm not a local control person at all. I think both of those things on the aggregate are pretty bad and are much more likely to be used for bad than they're likely to be used for good. Uh, but that said, SB9 definitely has its cons. For example, one of the things that's most troubling to me is that there is a blanket exemption for historic properties. Well, to me, that generally sounds like a good thing. So it it is like you want to be able to protect like, you know, they're like historic properties um, that are... Uh, you know, I guess it's really just like if you have a preservation scheme that's working really well, then it's a good thing. But in Los Angeles, and I can't really speak that much for other cities, but in LA, we already have a preservation regime that gets used by wealthier, whiter neighborhoods to declare that their neighborhoods shouldn't change, even as other people's neighborhoods mm-hmm. change. So one really good example of this is like along where the Purple Line is being built on Wilshire Boulevard. A lot of those full, like not just individual properties, but full neighborhoods like Carthay Circle and Miracle Mile, like have these historic preservation overlay zones is what they're called. Mm -hmm. Um, And they use that basically to just um, to one, boost their property values and two, make it so that um, it's that much harder to build anything new there. And now like we're basically what the state has said is, those neighborhoods, like a neighborhood like Carthay Circle, which is exactly where SB9 should be targeting, is completely off limits to SB9. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see how um, cities like Pasadena, there are like people out there with like petitions trying to expand their historic um, neighborhoods like uh, that already exist to try to get protection specifically from SB9. Um here, it's a little bit different in the city of LA, though, only because we have this tool. We have members survey LA. Have we talked about this before? Where they literally went and surveyed every single parcel in the city to determine where our like historic assets are or our architecturally significant assets are. And they have like a website that you can go on, Historic Properties LA, and you can look to see if they've determined that your property or your neighborhood or whatever has any of the um, qualifications that might make it, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're guaranteed to have this like protection, but um, how the city would determine that your neighborhood was indeed a candidate or has these qualities 
has kind of already been documented. So they miss things, of course, like there's there's things that they like haven't gotten and like um, people are trying to argue to save or, you know, and have to fight to preserve them. But uh, I think we have a pretty good tool to say, no, actually, it's not that historic. <laughs> like if somebody tries, tries to do these. And then you also have things like, you know, um, Venice and Malibu, all these like coastal zone requirements, which are different. Um, uh, those aren't included either. So you, you ha- we do have these things that maybe people will try to abuse, but we've kind of already set the parameters pretty specifically. So I don't know, it, it, there might, might be too many fights. So what does that leave? I mean, there's still a huge number a of, uh, there's a huge yeah. number of properties that will be affected by this, even in uh, LA City. And um, that's, I mean, I guess that's kind of something else worth mentioning. Like a lot of homeowners, um, you know, which is a specific class of people in LA, right? Just got a huge bump in their net worth, basically. Their home values just went up overnight. Yes, they should be thrilled. They can chop up their lot and <laughs> sell it to someone else and uh, or build their ADU of their dreams or their duplex of their dreams. I mean, yeah. And that's like, that's what's happening. They're putting it up and calling it an investment opportunity. Like, like I mentioned, realtors are thrilled about this because it means obviously bigger commissions, theoretically more home sales. Um, I went through and just watched a ton of videos and it seems like there's this coalition of um, not great folk, like realtors, uh, landlord <laughs> activists, which have you ever heard of more <laughs> cursed combination of words? And um, <laughs> and also like uh, VC money, like Y Combinator yeah, is like, tech companies. Is like uh, investing in this company called Homestead that basically exists to help you split your lot. And then they like, build an entire new duplex there and then uh, and then they take only a percentage of, of what they sell it for and you get the rest. And so a lot of it is just like banking on our housing prices are so overinflated that there's just a ton of money to go around if you're already bought into to home ownership. See, now it sounds exactly like the that's the kind of speculation people are worried about with laws like this. Yeah, I, it's not really discussed in these terms, really. But like, if you only have 7% of these lots changing hands and being an eligible lot or like being a good candidate, because there are like certain properties that would make you make it a, an easier thing to do to split your lot, like having um, an alley access point or something like that. Um, so some of these lots are getting a big property value bump. Uh, then, you know it's not going to do much to change the affordability picture, right? Like you have only a few that are getting used and then those are boosted in value. It's it's not like making things cheaper. But we are making some people even richer. Yeah, I mean, that's like, a, <laughs> that's a concern I have too. Right? Because that, win- it's like, it's a windfall, <laughs> right? And it's a windfall that's not really going to be well distributed. Um, I get why the state is doing it this way. And also like I like I said, I think eliminating single family zoning is a net good. I think that uh, cities in California have used it, uh, it as a tool 
to punish people for being poor and not white and will continue to do that if they're not checked. Um, but also, like, as far as systemic approaches to addressing the impacts of zoning, this is not that. Hopefully it's an, it's a, an entree to that. But you can like look at the studies that have been done that say even if you look at, um, you know, even if you look at very rich people, like the the one percent, and you look at a one percenter uh, who's black and a one percenter who's white, the uh, home value between those two, there's a racial disparity there. Like if you have a home in a black area, even if it's a wealthy black area, your home is worth less. Um, so like that means also like we're giving probably a bigger bump in value to homeowners in white areas. Right. And so much of the, the homes and even like single family homes that like place their zone for single family homes, um, in a lot of black communities, like in South LA have already been bought up by these giant corporate landlords, yeah, I mean, that's something that a lot of the discussion has focused on. Um, and the state, to their credit, uh, put in a provision saying you can't be a corporation. You have to be a natural person in order to use SB9. Um, you, so like you ha- and you also have to live there. You have to sign an affidavit saying that you are going to live there for several years after the development. Right, that's very, I mean, that seems like it's going to be pretty difficult to crack down on um and then you'd have to like get the feds involved (laughs) to like prosecute people and the odds of the federal government (laughs) getting involved in our (laughs) although they did have an adu panel last week the the federal the white house had like an adu panel which was so interesting (laughs) that they were like talking about this i was i was impressed the, I mean, the, yeah, it's hard hard to imagine the federal government saying, "Ooh, you lied on your your affidavit saying that you were going to live in this house." And honestly, like <laughs> that's something that yeah. um, that's something that <laughs> opponents and proponents of the the bill are really uh, seem to be in agreement about. Like, even the realtors are like, "Oh, yeah, wink, wink, you have to to live there." But um, I found like a clip of a guy of a realtor guy being like. Uh, they're just going to be going after like the big corporate people. Like they won't actually come check on you. So like uh, that's a that's a I real concern. Like if there's actually a purpose to the state putting these provisions in, and everyone seems to think that there's not going to be any uh, pushback to being a complete scoff law, um, the the state should probably be concerned about that. There's also like there are a few other weird things that could happen here. I think it incentivizes behavior on the part of the cities that hasn't really been talked about. Um, one thing that I was thinking about is that a city, so most of what the cities are mad about, like uh, if you go to Redondo Beach or whatever, any of these cities that are trying to um, sue the state to stop SB9 or uh, support a ballot measure, um, they're saying, City planning is a very complicated thing, and it's important that we have the ability to do this however we like to do it, uh, basically. And so one of the things that cities could do is just rezone all of their land so that none of it is single-family zoning, and then SB9 applies to none of it. Um, And then they can have, like, for example, just duplex zoned land, and, um, and then they can put whatever onerous restrictions they want on it. 
like there are ways that they can sort of reclaim some of that power from the state. And I think we'll probably see more of that as we go forward. But um, in the in the near yeah. term, you know, city of LA is drafting an ordinance. Paul Koretz has said it's like, you know, the Wild West. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't want it to become little Dubai. You look at so many neighborhoods that are way underbuilt based on what their zoning is. Like my neighborhood is like, you can build eight units on a property. But we also have things like, alleys like these amazing it's such a good resource of what you just said like we you like in our alley um one of the people just built their garage to open out onto the alley and that's like the front of the the back house and like turning the alleys into these like secondary they call them laneway houses in like other cities but like that's such a cool that's such a cool thing that's not going to fundamentally change your cheviot hills neighborhood mm-hmm. and it, it would be such a great use of those of those spaces that is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much, especially our Sepulveda Pass holders for keeping us going. If you have the ability to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash LA podcast. Uh, and if you sign up to donate $5 a month, it really does help us out. And we also have a newsletter that we send out every week. This is free to anyone who wants it. You can go to thelapod.com slash newsletter and sign up with your email there. Thank you to Brian Holmes, as always, for producing, Matt Tinoco for editing, and to you at home for listening. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.